Exodus chapter 16, let's, let's preach and see what God has for us here. And, uh, uh, and let's, let's get something for the Word of God and then we'll go sit by the flesh pots. <laughs> At least that's, what, that's what's in our text, but uh, don't take that the wrong way. Uh, God definitely wants us to eat and He wants us to enjoy food, uh, but uh, it's got to be in its right priority. Now, verse 27 of chapter 15 we need to read this because it'll help give us context. Now, remember, last week they were at Mara, and Mara is a bitter place and a bitter time. And we've all had or been in a bitter place, and we've all had bitter times. And one of the things we learned there is not to murmur and complain, uh, you know, when God puts us in those bitter times and bitter places in life. Uh, and so now this week, they're going to leave this place here of Elam. He says, and they came to Elam, where were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees. And they had camped there by the waters. And you'll find this, you're beginning to pick up a pattern. Uh, that life has a pattern. You're either in a storm, that's your Mara. You're coming out of the storm, that's your Elam, and you're getting ready to go into another storm. Uh, that's this next journey, and this time they're going to run out of food. And let's see how they respond uh, to this test. It says in verse 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. Now, last time it was just against Moses. This time it's against Moses and Aaron. And that murmuring is that complaining in a low voice. You know, you just, it's kind of that grumbling, that grumbling. Some, you know, mom tells you to take out the trash. You know, that, that grumble, that, that's murmuring. That's what that thing is. Uh, and so uh, uh, the Lord don't like complainers. He don't like murmuring. He does not like complaining. He does not. Now, he says in verse 3, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would... Now, now get this phrase, because this is really where the message is based out of. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt... He's, well, what, what did he just say? They said that they were wishing that God would have killed them in one of the plagues down in Egypt. Now watch this. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What an accusation. And we're going to talk about that, but that's the phrase that was the inspiration for the message this morning. This is quite a saying. They're, they're, they're convinced that God was going to kill them. And so their complaint is, if you're going to kill us, why didn't you just kill us down there with a full belly? in one of the plagues. Instead of bringing us out here and killing us with a hungry belly. 
all right? Verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Now let us pray and ask the Lord to get into the message this morning. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Now, Lord, help us today. Give me strength. Uh, Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Anoint my lips. And Lord, help us to be able to focus on the message this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, I'd like to read you. I'm going to read some verses of Scripture. We might turn a little bit to help us get the context for what's going on here. Uh, if you was to take your Bible uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, the Lord talks about what is going on here. And He says this in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, here's why, to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Then verse 3, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Uh-oh, so there was a purpose for this. It happened on purpose. And fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man, here's what he's trying to teach them, man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. You say, wow, that's what he's teaching them in here. Here's what's going on. A lot of people, and you can get this from this text, where they, they, they are upset that God has them on the move. And one of the things that I have personally learned about dealing with people uh, in my lifetime, whether it be in a dojo, uh, whether it be as an employer, or whether it be as a pastor, uh, that talk is cheap and people can talk a good game. And they love the philosophy behind things. But then when the call says, now that you know what we need to do and you agree it needs to be done, let's start it. And when you begin to execute, that's when you begin to have problems because people would rather sit and talk than do. And that's what they're saying here. They're mad at the discipleship process and discipleship is about training discipleship is about a renewing god is trying to reprogram this crew they've spent 400 years in egypt as slaves and they've got an entitlement mindset they got a slavery slave-minded concept and god has to transform them and begin a good work in them and that starts by renewing that mind that process and he's trying to teach them that, look, life is not all about what you can put in your belly. You're dealing with the lustful nature of man, and that bread represents chasing the American dream or chasing wealth, and, and, and you want to be sit around and enjoy comfort. When God's got you on the move, He wants to teach you that you need to learn to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Because God's good all the time. 
And he says that's the, what he was trying to do. Now, if you was to look at James, James chapter 4, he kind of gives us a peek here about uh, uh, what goes on in this life. And he's, he's really dealing, and I believe this has great application to young Christians in Christ. People get saved, and boy, they just get all excited because God has delivered them from the clutches of sin, and now they're a child of God. But guess what? The Christian life does not start or stop there. It just begins, and now God wants to add to your faith. And that's where the problem starts, because when you're going to add, God's going to put you on the move. You're going to be moving forward. It's about growth. And here's the problem that begins to creep up in all of us, not just you, but your preacher included, in man in general. Verse 1, James 4, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts? Ain't that what we're dealing with over there? Yes, their lust is taken over them. And, and, and they have such a desire... To have a full belly. Oh, I got news for you. I can deal with a lot of trouble in life as long as I got a full belly. I can relate to this message. I got news for you. You say, well, I've never really been emotionally distraught because I missed a few meals. You know, three days without eating is no big deal. Well, then you're a special type of a person. You've got a gift. <laughs> <laughs> you got a great gift because I'm not, I, I, I'm, I, I don't operate like that. I, I tend to operate more like what the children of Israel here. It's only been, what, less than three days and they're out of bread. You do know you can live over 30 days without any food. Oh, I studied this out because I, I've done a little fasting in my life. And you, matter of fact, those hunger pains that you experience, some of you haven't had breakfast this morning, those hunger pains you're experiencing, those are not real. That's in your head. Your body will not experience a true, from your gut, generated hunger pain until after the 30th day. Everything you feel and experience before that is in your mind. You say, I don't believe that. Well, maybe I got bad information. <laughs> I'm telling you what I researched. Remember, the Lord spent 40 days fasting. Moses spent 40 days more than once fasting. I went 21 days once. I can relate to this message because I got news for you. People tell you they fast a lot. And they say, you know, the first three or four days are the worst. Who are you? And they say after the seventh day, it really gets easier. You know, the 14th day of the fast is awesome. No, it ain't. I've been there. I've experienced that. The first three days was fine. The first seven days, I can do this. And I'm talking about drinking all the fresh vegetable juice that that juicer will make. You know, and I hate to say this, but because we're on food... I spent some time this week because I need to go on a fast again just, just to do it, to discipline myself. And I kid you not, I'm sitting there and like, okay, juice is considered anything you can suck through a straw. And I begin to make a recipe to juice chocolate cake. 
that would take about two pieces of chocolate cake, six ounces of milk, and you blend that real, if I can get it through a straw, mm. <laughs> I'm telling you, people change when they get hungry. Lust. It's lust. It's a lustful nature to be given to an appetite. And so by the time I reach day 15, 16, 17, day 18, literally was sitting in a room with the shades drawn in the dark. <laughs> I said that last week <laughs> with tears running down my face because I was convinced I would never taste food again. You say, but that wasn't true. Of course it wasn't true. <laughs> I know it wasn't true. I was sitting there telling myself it wasn't true. <laughs> but I couldn't convince my mind that. I got news for you. People change when they get a little hungry. We actually said hangry. So don't tell me that food doesn't change how you feel about things. Maybe it doesn't for you, but for the rest of the world, <laughs> it does. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, here's our problem. We're full of lust. Let's read on. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have. And you cannot obtain. You fight in war. That's what they're doing with Moses and Aaron, fighting in war and arguing. And, and, and he says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, he just gave you a clue. Adultery is rooted in lust. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I just fell into that situation. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. It happened because you were thinking about it. It was an appetite. He says, he says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is in enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye not think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, Now you, you need this. God resisteth the proud. He was trying to humble these people. They're in their discipleship process. And he says, but giveth grace unto the humble. Say, so what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say, no matter what's going on in your life, before God, you need to remain humble and let God work a work in you and to help you and to teach you and to mold you. Because here's the bad part. Do you know that the children of Israel, you said they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. Yeah, that was a 40-year discipleship program that they never graduated from. Matter of fact, all of that, this crew that he's dealing with died. They never did enter into the Christian life. Their children did, but they didn't. Only Joshua and Caleb did. Could you imagine a 40-year discipleship program? Yeah, I can't imagine that. Dealing with people that some people don't want to be taught. They don't want God working on them. But there's a promise in the Word of God there in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, And he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Guess what? If you are saved, God's going to work on you. Until he takes you out, whether you like it or not. 
And he says, what's given us problem is we're filled with lusts and we begin to war and fight against God. And we can't, what did I say, get, get, get anywhere in the Christian life. We don't get anywhere with God because anytime we pray and ask God for something, it's only to consume it on our lusts. The Lord here is adding to a weak faith. And of course, I titled this, The Trouble with an Anemic Faith and a Vain Imagination. This is a level two Christian. God's beginning to work in their life. Uh, He's getting them nailed down in their identity. And He's trying to renew the mind I mean, we sometimes have to do a reset on the computer, right? Yeah. And then put in the good stuff because it got a virus in it. That's what's going on. The devil has planted a virus in the minds of people, generally through a philosophy. The Lord said, be aware, lest any man spoil you through a philosophy. You've got to be careful with that. And so the Lord begins this process, and He's going to add to the faith. And the first thing He says He's going to add to your faith when you get saved is going to be virtue. And that'll be in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. And I'll read it, because I'm laying this groundwork, and then we'll get to the message. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Oh boy, okay. Talking about a new convert. And beside this, Giving all diligence, add to your faith. Yes, when you got saved and you exercise that little bit of faith, it doesn't stop there. God's going to begin to add and to work in your life, every life of a child of God. And the first thing He's going to begin to add is virtue. He says, add to your faith, virtue. And then to virtue, knowledge. You say, now what is this virtue? Well, virtue, when we're talking about the Bible definition, is a voluntary obedience to truth. It means to the practice of a moral goodness in spite of difficulty. (laughs) It means doing the right thing even when you don't feel like it. That's called virtue. I'm leery about people that whatever situation they might find them in, their morals change. And you say, well, how would you know you found somebody like that? You ever been with somebody when they're handing out free samples? You know, A free sample is meant that you take one. You ever see people fight over free samples? That Sam's come in there and somebody thinks that all of the samples on that plate are theirs. 
they'll actually fight and argue with somebody that wants a free sample and they get an argument over that thing. Let me, let, me, let me get it down a little farther. You ever see somebody, somebody offers to give something away for free and they don't need it? They have no need of it, but they take it anyway. You say, what is that? It's a lack of virtue. But it's free! That's not the point. If you don't need it, why would you take it, even if it's free? Ah, I got something, don't I? These are indicators that a person is lacking virtue. If, if someone's trying to give me something and I don't need it, I'm not taking it. Why? Because I don't want to have to try to get rid of it. It's all about work with me. But <laughs> he said, but you could take it and sell it. I don't need that headache. <laughs> now, my old pappy taught me a long time ago, just because somebody's giving you something free don't mean you take it. If you don't need it, don't take it. Let somebody that actually needs it have an opportunity to take it. Oh. Oh. Virtue. Why are we like that? Full of lust. Lustful. Lustful. <laughs> One of the big lessons uh, growing up in my life was just because there's one piece of chicken left on the platter doesn't mean you're entitled to it. Oh, boy. Yeah, maybe your skinny brother Titus might, he, he actually needs the piece of chicken. <laughs> you're like, oh, my, so, yeah, I've had conversations like that and teachings like that. You say, what is that? It's lust and it's a lack of virtue. Because of our pride, suffering is a crucial element of discipleship. The phrase, no pain, no gain, there's some truth to that. Whether you're working out, no pain, no gain. That's right. It's not going to come easy. Uh, whether you're uh, in a dojo, training martial arts, there's going to be a little pain associated with that. There's going to be a workout associated with that. I don't think I can get through an actual proper warm-up right now. <laughs> warm out okay that's 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 the class i'm done no that's just a warm-up <laughs> that's just a warm-up man you know church service kind of like that this is just a warm-up <laughs> oh, i'm out of here i'm done i got it i got it but in this discipleship process and that's where we're going to get to here people don't like to be uncomfortable they want to sit and eat. I can, I can identify with this. They want to sit and eat. They want to sit and eat. You say, well, what are you trying to say? I'm saying be careful when you're full of pride and hangry. That's what I'm saying. Here's what's going on. When you're hangry and God's trying to work on you, and God's trying to mold you, and God's trying to renew that mind because God has promised you that He's going to work on you until the day of Jesus Christ. There's going to be some uncomfortable times in your life. There's going to be some times when you're thirsty. There's going to be some times when you're hungry. There's going to be some times when you're going to have to do without. And it comes down to 
do you trust God or not? Because God knows best. We don't know the future. We do not know what God is protecting us from. We do not see the whole picture. And so all we can see is a real narrow band that includes us. And when God begins to put us on the move, I call it growing pains. I've been trying to warn the church that as we begin to grow, we will experience some growing pains. It's okay. You say, well, I just like the church just the way it is. I love it small. I don't want it to grow. You're backslid. You're backslid. The church is going to grow. The church is going to move forward. And yes, it might be uncomfortable because the older we get, we like things to stay the same. But God knows what's best. Just like He knew what was best here. But they were not going to trust God. And so here's what they did. When you're hangry, when you won't trust God, when, when, when you begin to murmur and complain, it begins to distort your memory. Did you see this here in verse 3? They say, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat... Now, words have meaning. And they are painting a mental picture here that God, His intent, His motive was to kill them with hunger. And they said, look, we're mad because why didn't you just leave us in Egypt where we could sit around and eat till our full? I begin to think about that. And so I went back to chapter 1, I want to say, of Exodus. And I remember here in verse 10, Pharaoh saying this about the nation of Israel. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when they falleth out any war, they join also with their enemies and fight against us. Now watch this. Verse 11, therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. I, I don't see the word sit anywhere in this. Watch this. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses, but the more they afflicted them, that's the second time he's used that bad word, the more they multiply and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. That does not paint the mental picture of sitting at the Chinese buffet to me. And <laughs> you know, Chinese buffet. We was past Sakura the other day, which is over there in, what is that, going into Pigeon Forge. All you, all you can eat... For ten ninety nine, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I've heard this stuff before. Like, yeah, a buffet, all you can eat, ten ninety nine, not all day buffet. <laughs> okay, I got it. Some people think that means all day buffet. Not me. I don't, I've never been asked to leave a place like that. I just like the variety. But they've painted a picture accusing God of trying to kill them, saying what they were doing in Egypt was laying around, sitting, and eating at the buffet. 
And God, I'm sharing with you that, no, they were serving with rigor. That, that means hard. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. That don't sound like all-day buffet. You see, when you get to complaining and murmuring on God, and God's trying to do a big work in your life, and God's trying to humble you, how your memory gets distorted, just like I told you on that fast, Day 15, 16, I was convinced I would never taste food again. What was that? That was the mind trying to convince the soul, me, that I was never going to eat again and I need to break this fast because I'm going to die. I'm still here. And that was all mental. There's more of a mental problem when you begin to, to fast and diet than a physical one. It's mental. It's mental. It's a mental thing. And it was working on their mind mentally. And they were so full of themselves in pride. God says, no, you need to... Notice how he keeps them moving and moving and moving. You're going to pick up, you're going to move. Pick up and make forward progress. Pick up. And they did not like that. Something I've learned about Christians, they don't want to move forward. And then they think, well, this is not how it was in my old life before I got saved. I just laid around, did what I wanted. I never had no problems and I had plenty of money. I had plenty of food. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You've got a distorted memory. Just like the nation of Israel. They distorted the memory. Then you get over there into chapter 3. God come down and looked at it in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen their affliction. Now who are you going to believe? The children of Israel who are hangry or God? Of my people, thank you, Sister Kinsley, that people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I'm come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, a large land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that's what God said he was going to do. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to renew you. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to cherish you. I'm going to nourish you. And I know what's best for you. But you need to humble yourself. And you need to follow and trust me and obey me. And he said, then I'm going to take you to this land flowing with milk and honey. God, did, God didn't lie to him. They wanted the land of Canaan now. Well, there's a growth process first. They wasn't ready to face the Amorites yet. They definitely weren't ready to face the Philistines yet because here God says there in chapter 3, uh, let's go to chapter 4. Nope, let's go forward. Chapter 12, 9, 11... Chapter 13, verse 17, It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Why not? That was the shortest route. That's the shortest distance between two points. He says, uh, although that was nearer, for God said, lest preadventure the people repent when they see war. So why didn't God let them go the short way? They couldn't handle the war yet. Who knew best? God knew best. So what kind of a problem are we dealing with here in chapter 16? Why were they murmuring, complaining? 
just like we do, we don't trust God. God doesn't know better than me. You say, preacher, I've been in some pretty bad situations. You don't understand my situation. I got news for you. God does. I might not. And I guarantee you, you need to start looking about what has God spared me from that was going to be a lot worse than what he's allowed me to experience now. And number two, what is he trying to teach me? Oh, yeah. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about it the, the next time uh, God moves you? And, and, and you've got to get this when you're operating and living by faith. God moves you. God might pick you up and move you to another state, another location, uh, somewhere else to work with another congregation. And things ain't working out the way you want, even for the preacher. And you're like, what's going on? It doesn't matter. Trust God. God knows best problem is we don't trust god and we begin to start operating with a distorted memory well i don't remember it being like this in the old life why in the world did god do this hey i've I've said that i've said that before got right in the middle of a bad deacons meeting and i'm sitting there i wasn't listening too much what they said I, i was listening i'm 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 talking to the lord inside and saying lord why'd you bring me down here to do this to me You say, what was that? (laughs) Well, (laughs) murmuring probably. (laughs) You want to be honest with it. (laughs) Murmuring, beginning to complain like, Lord, why'd you leave me? What's going on here? I didn't see this coming. What's going on? (laughs) Come to find out later, God was all over me. All over me. I was inside of Christ. That's why I couldn't see him. I was tucked up right up there in the cleft of the rock. And the Lord was my fortress. The Lord was my shield. Just like he'll be your shield. And like he'll be your fortress. And you don't need to start operating with a distorted memory because you're a little hangry. God's trying to humble you. God tries to humble us all. There's something I thought about this week. God uses a lot of weird people. (laughs) he does a lot of weird characters preachers are weird characters anyway And, and i got news for you if a preacher even you even a church member if you is as goofy as you are some of you some of you are a little you know you don't want to travel you don't want to go nowhere, kind of like me, you know. Uh, uh, you don't eat certain foods. You might not eat in public. You, you don't want to do this. Some of you are germaphobes. Some of you, you know, are, are, are germex uh, uh, addicts and, 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 you know, so on and so forth. And that's okay and you have every right to be. Uh, but, but God's people sometimes are just odd, aren't they? But if you just stay humble with the Lord... God says he'll give you grace. And God will put up with a whole lot of nonsense. I'm not talking about sin. I said goofy, (laughs) goofiness out of you. And he'll be gracious through that if you'll just stay humble. Now, that's something that we all can do. We're all the time looking like, well, I can't win thousands of people to the Lord. I'm not going to ever get a great, you know, great reward because I don't soul win a whole lot. How about good old-fashioned humility? See, God puts a higher priority on humility. God says he resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. 
Number two, more about done. When you're hangry, you're complaining, you're upset, you'll make outlandish claims. You'll make outlandish claims. Did you see there in verse 3? They now are blaming Moses and Aaron for conspiring. Conspiracy. That, that's what's going on here. They saying Moses and Aaron, the leaders, the pastors, that they got together and conspired to bring this group of people out in the wilderness and kill them. Well, guess what? Just like any good conspiracy, they got some good points. No food. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're missing a key element. Malice. Motive. They got the wrong motive. Then they accuse God because Moses says, now look, you're not murmuring and complaining against me and Aaron. You're complaining and murmuring against God. Now you're saying God's conspired against you. You see that? Conspiracy. You see that? All because they were a little hungry. All because God was leading them. You, you understand, they're still following this cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They're, they're trying to blame Moses. Like, what have you done to us? Uh, Moses, he's the pastor. He said, I'm just following God. That's the way the cloud went. You see how simple God is? There's the path. It's lit. It's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Oh, it's the preacher. He's led me down this. What did he do when he led me to Christ? <laughs> Spared your soul from hell. God saved you. And now God wants to work in your life. God wants you to grow. He didn't save you to sit by a flesh pot. He saved you to serve. What a good God. Oh, but God conspired against me to kill me. No, God doesn't work that way. God was not working and had not set out to kill them. Now, God kills a lot of them. You wish for something long enough, you'll get it. <laughs> you disobey God long enough, and he will take you out. But that's not what he had set out to do. That wasn't the motive. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that God was teaching them. What is that? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That's action. By the, how, how are we going to do that? By, okay, how's it going to happen? By the renewing of your mind. That's where it starts. Their mind wasn't right. The mind was being controlled through lust and pride. 
and it distorted their memory and it allowed them to make outlandish claims against God. You know, the more and more I looked at this, the more and more I seen that that sounds like the modern day Christian. Aren't we just like this? God's good to us. God's gracious to us. And something goes wrong. And all of a sudden, we're making these outlandish claims. and Our memory is uh, distorted. And I think that's why the Lord said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, He says, verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Oh, I, I believe God saying, no, they're exactly like you. And he said, I wrote these things aforetime for your learning. I have news for you. I've been preaching really in the ball field of complaining and murmuring on God two weeks now. I don't think God likes murmuring and complaining, does He? So you think about that this week. You say, but preacher, I'm in a bad spot. I understand we all get in them from time to time. But I assure you there's a worse spot. And more than likely, God spared you from a worse spot and allowed this and you're going through it. Now, you need to understand this. In that same trial that God is allowing, the devil's trying to destroy you. You, you, you need to understand this. So the devil is trying to destroy you in that trial. He's trying to get you to quit. He's trying to get you to make these accusations against God. He's trying to get you to complain. But in that same trial, God is allowing that trial to get the pride. That's just called the dross. He can't do no, nothing with us with pride. So he's trying to humble us. Then he's trying to reprogram our minds. And then he's trying to teach us the right way, which is the law of God. So in that same trial, you can call it a temptation if you want to, because that shows up in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the Lord said he made a way of escape out of that thing. He's not going to put on you more than you can bear. That's why he let them get hungry instead of put them in a war situation with the Philistines. He knew they could handle this. Now, God could handle it all. But he knew what was best for them in the moment. And that gets us down to learning to trust God. We don't trust God. Trust is a big issue. Trust is a big issue in this country. Trust is a big issue between spouses. Uh-huh. We don't trust. You say, yeah, but you don't know. Well, no. we'll preach on that later. We're talking about God. You can trust God. God doeth everything well. 
God never makes mistakes. And the devil can never do anything to you unless God allows it. God and the devil ain't in a boxing match to see who's the best. And sometimes the devil wins. Sometimes God's win. No, it don't work that way. God always wins. It's not even a contest. So switch that thinking. Unless you like a 40-year discipleship program. I don't. I don't want to take another lap around Mount Sinai. Be careful what you say when you're hangry. Be careful when your resources are low. And it looks like everything's against you. And there's a lot of bad things happening to you. Like, man, what in the world's going on? God's trying to teach you something. God's trying to teach you something to make you a better Christian. Let's all stand this morning.